and welcome to episode 115 of Retro Encounter, RPG Fans Weekly Podcast. I'm Mike Solosi, Monsoon on the Boards, and I am your host for today. And I am here with six Retro Encounter regulars, uh, starting with, let's introduce them right to left, starting with Robert Fenner. Hello, Towns Carmarty on the Boards. The weather outside is frightful, but Retro Encounter is delightful. Oh. <laughs> Oh, that, that was pretty good. All right. I accept that. Second in line is Peter Treisenberg. Hi, uh, Peter Treisenberg. I have Fury on the boards. The weather outside is indeed frightful, <laughs> as my tires can attest to. Yeah, I mean, Michigan in December, Ouch. I believe every word you say about that. And also from the Northeast, we got Marcos Gaspar. Howdy there, Marcos. Walt Armour on the boards. And, yeah, the weather's great. And our <laughs> South Korean correspondent, Dom Kim. Hello, it's DH Candy on the board, and the weather right now, it's too dark to tell. It's daytime where I am, but I'm afraid it's like the middle of the night for poor Dom. I feel a little bad for recording it where we are now. And last and certainly never least, we have Alana Higgs. Hey everyone, Diving Falcons on the boards. Um, probably the weather outside is frightful, but this is probably the only place that snow hasn't touched yet, so... <laughs> uh, I know! We had a few flakes in central London a couple of days ago, but it was, like, really nothing. Uh, it's not... I mean, I know Mike was moaning before that he was cleaning up snow, but... It was really only on my car and on the step on the steps out of my house, oh. because it's, um, like, it's, it's just a thin layer of, like, half-melted stuff that's going to turn into ice in a few hours. So I had to clean off my car, but it's really... It's, not, it's a non-factor. It's just gross, wet, thin snow. Not, not, even, not even pretty snow. It's too bad. All of us, I assume, are in slightly warmer than outside places recording this podcast, and we have an extra-large panel today. Six is about as uh, large as I'm willing to go for a Retro Encounter episode. And uh, for which topic you ask, it is just a look back at the year 2017. We have done year-end episodes on Retro Encounter each of the past two years, and so we're just continuing that tradition with this year. Now, if I recall from last year, uh, some of you were on that recording. Basically, we decided that it wasn't the most robust year for RPGs, but there were some games we liked, and we and we talked about, you know, your Final Fantasy 15s and your uh, Trails of Cold Steels. It was, but so, but we didn't have a lot to talk about last year. I in to my in my memory on the year end episode, but oh, have times changed? Because 2017 has been insane for video game releases, in particular uh, games that RPG fan covers, at least in my estimation. So uh, Very I'm going to pick on someone at random, and it's Marcos. Um, did you have a, a single favorite game or a, maybe a couple favorite games that hit you this year that you uh, that you enjoyed playing? Yeah, how about that Blue Reflection game? <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding. Uh, oh, <laughs> Marcos, you're causing Warfighter's uh, Banks. Oh, boy. No, um, uh, new games that come out this <laughs> Nice. Uh... Xenoblade too. Uh, <laughs> I, would, I, would, is... I would wager that some of us are playing that like right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, oh yeah. yeah, yeah, not far enough in to make judgment yet. Did Fire Emblem Heroes come out this year? It did. Yeah, yeah the mobile uh, game. The Fire yep. Emblem, the, 
Heroes the, is the mobile game, and, and Warriors, Warriors is the mobile Yeah, both game. of them came out this year. Oh, yeah, right. Um, we've had three Fire Emblem games this year. We've had Echoes as well, so oh, we've had a real... Yes. Imagine four years ago, Fire Emblem was a dying God. franchise, and now look, we've had three <laughs> games this year, so... Yeah, so many Fire take Emblem... Take what you will. So many Fire Emblem plural nouns this year. we got Echoes, Heroes, Warriors, and there's a, there's a teased yet unannounced Switch game uh, in the Fire Emblem series coming out uh, being revealed next year, I believe, but we don't know anything. Yeah, they, they, they announced it ages ago, but uh, but it was a you know yet to be announced Switch game. So wait, wait Marcos, you uh, which one are you? Do you mean to be talking about right now, Heroes or Warriors? Um, I I can go either way. Uh, I both enjoy Heroes <laughs> and Warriors, but right now the most uh, recent one to my mind is a uh, Fire Emblem Warriors. Absolutely love that game. Great Warriors game. Cool. Um, I know that it got a very positive review from uh, from Nathan, one of the uh, one of the people in the reviews team. Has anyone else here played Fire Emblem Warriors? Because, I mean, as as a rule, I I kind of think Muso games are almost all the same. So I, I haven't I haven't played I haven't played one since one of the One Piece games like three or four years ago. I think like the the characters and the settings are really what makes the Warriors game shine. So like I'm a big fan of those One Piece games. Um, I haven't gotten the around. Played, the one I played was a delight, but I have. But yeah, I, I, I only they're great. One. Um, I haven't gotten around to Fire Emblem Warriors yet, but like I've literally just gotten my Switch. So, yeah, but I, I haven't played a war. The last Warriors game I played was the first uh, Dragon Quest Heroes, which I enjoyed. It's a cool I, game. I own, yeah. that, I own that one, but I haven't put it in my PS4 yet. We had two out this year, and yeah. apparently that's a big improvement, uh, but I haven't had a chance to get to it yet. Yeah, but two came out, and I was like, I've, pl- I've already played enough Dragon Quest, Dragon Quest Heroes and didn't end up picking it up. It's a little unfair of them to call some of the Musou games Heroes and some of them Warriors. It's just it's and while we have other games called Heroes and Warriors, it's, it's just all so confusing for an old man like me. I don't I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, imagine if they muddied the waters with Dragon Quest Warriors. Yeah, exactly. Dragon, like Dragon, Dragon Warriors, Warriors. Warriors. <laughs> <laughs> if, they, if they called it Dragon Warrior Warriors, I would put a poster of the game cover in my bedroom. Oh, it would have been great. That's just excellent. tattoos. Oh would, man, are Dragon Warrior Monster Warriors? I would somehow f- try to like buy money for the gacha for Fire Emblem Heroes and accidentally buy. Fire Emblem Warriors in doing so. But I, I, I don't play Fire Emblem, uh, Fire Emblem Heroes because I have an aversion to gacha games as well as Musou games, I guess, after just like burning my eyeballs out playing uh, Final Fantasy Brave Exvius for several months. Um, but oh, gosh. but I, 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 a lot of people are into Fire Emblem Heroes. It's, uh, it's really satisfying for a lot of players, and I know that they just added one of my all-time favorite Fire Emblem characters to it. Uh, in Sometime in October or November, they added Ira from Fire Emblem Seisen no Keifu, which is mm. which is dope because she is the best. And uh, one of my friends that plays the game like knows I was asking about her, and when he got her in a role, he I don't know which of us was more excited. But <laughs> I mean, if you if you like gacha games and you like Fire Emblem, then this game was made for the center of that Venn diagram. Who all played uh, Fire Emblem Echoes this year? Because I was curious about picking it up, but my. Uh let's call it sheer loathing for Fire Emblem Fates sort of turning <laughs> off. <Yeah. laughs> no, sadly I'm not a big Fire Emblem fan and the last one I really played was Awakening and then between Awakening and uh, um, 7, I, they were the only two that I'd played. Uh, I've not really gelled with any of them so I kind of give Fire Emblem a wide berth because it's kind of I don't know. It's not for me. Is probably the best way mm. to describe it. And strategy games aren't my best friend anyway. But there is, I think, especially with Fates, 
kind of put me off the series, but Nathan, again, reviewed Fire Emblem Echoes, and he gave it a really nice review, so it kind of managed to blend. All right. I think, to be fair, um, Echoes takes, like, some good elements from... Is it Gaiden? Fire Emblem Gaiden? Yeah, that it's, it's, that's right, yeah. it's, re- it's a remake yeah. of uh, Fire Emblem Gaiden, which was one of the NES Fire, game, Fire Emblem games. Which is like, everyone says it's the Final Fantasy II Zelda II of the Fire Emblem series, but... It it's a weird ta- game. It is a weird game, and it had some elements that didn't get reused until Awakening. So I think it's managed to bounce off of Awakening success, but also managed to keep kind of old school fans happy to a degree, I think. So yeah, it's, I've had some it's, things about um, Echoes. So I think people should, if you want to give Fire Emblem another go, then maybe give it a shot. But I don't think it's, maybe the Switch version will get me back into it. I don't know, but it's just not, the series is not really for me, I'm afraid. I, uh, I, I don't know exactly whether to call myself old school or not, I, or lapsed or not, because I'm in this weird in-between stage with Fire Emblem. I've I've beaten five or six games in the series, including two of the Japan-only ones that have full English translations. But uh, I, I also fell off the wagon at, at uh, in Fates. I really didn't like the map design or the characters or how it sort of, or it's how it sort of recycled a lot of the Awakening stuff, but in a less palatable way. Um, it was a stinker. Yeah, I, I did not. I mm-hmm. really was turned off by Fates. Um, the problem is, is they kind of just come across as like caricatures of their traits. So they've all got one trait, and they are defined by that trait, as far as I can tell. Because Awakening really was sort of yeah. going that way. Yeah, Awakening was going that way anyway, with like Gaius and his little sweet fetish and his name, who like cutting up potatoes and stuff. And they just kind of based all of their discussions around that. And then fates kind of ran with that idea they were like the fans really like this let's just give them this and but i do like the way they kind of split it into two so like they gave you a harder version and an easier but really the way that they did it was kind of just like milking the cow dry like honestly yeah. And, and, I mean, also, and also have, selling a, tr- a third true version and, <laughs> uh, and, a, and more DLC than ever for a Fire Emblem game. It's the best-selling yeah. game in series history, probably because of the success of, uh, of Awakening. But um, um, a lot of people did like Echoes' return to old-schoolness. I did hear that the, some of the maps late in the game are pretty bad, but, uh, but in general, it's a... It's a good, likable Fire Emblem game. I remember um, Derek talking about it on Random Encounter earlier this year. He uh, he was quite enjoying it when he was in the middle of it. But I, mm. I haven't. I, I, it's the kind of game I, I might get later. Except I'm there's always too many games that I should be or shouldn't be playing. So I, I haven't. I haven't <laughs> gotten it yet. That's actually really interesting. Uh, like I've been wanting to pick up Echoes as well. But wow, oh, I hate for Fate. Um, I actually liked Fate. Um, but I think yeah. what was more, most alluring to, uh, about it was the music. Mm, Surprise! It was the music. Mm-hmm. Well, no, it's a good soundtrack. You are the really person. That, you are the person that brought up Blue Reflection on this podcast. So of course you're, you know, you're into yeah. game music. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I one of my least favorite games of the year with one of my favorite soundtracks. I don't know. If yeah, I don't know if there's a better example of a game with an amazing soundtrack that's a less oh, fun gosh. game like it's like I, I would also use that to describe tokyo xanadu to a degree but but with, it's, <laughs> it's, it's even more exaggerated with blue reflection Ooh. yeah and I, it was to the point where i pre-ordered the japanese limited edition so i would get the soundtrack because uh i know gust and it was cost correct that made it yes, team it gust? yep uh, yeah. yeah they don't, they're not going to release the soundtrack ever unless they get like uh they find a way to like make a lot of money off it um, because they did that with Knights of Azurus or something like that, Azure Knights, uh, whatever it's Knights called. Knights of Azure. Thank you. Uh, they did the same with that. And they were the limited edition Japanese version for the full sound or even the Mora soundtrack. When I finally did get Blue Reflection to go back to that, the soundtrack, like Chef Kid, 
uh, pristine. Uh, <laughs> definitely going to be number one on my list this year uh, for music of the year. It, it is fantastic. I love Great. it as well. Yeah, it's really good. And then a year of really strong soundtracks is yeah. quite amazing. Oh that some, like we say, the games, the games this year have been ridiculous. I think the soundtracks have been even more ridiculous. Like I can probably count on two hands how many games I love this year, but I can probably <laughs> count on two hands and a, two feet how many soundtracks I've been in love with this year. Uh-huh. To be honest. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we got near Automata soundtrack. I fi- uh, Final Fantasy uh, 15 was at the end of uh, 2016, right? But, you know, I'll, yeah. I'll still count that because it was more of uh, like early January. They've been getting new music in for the DLC episode. Those are pretty good, too. Yeah, Akave's Battle of the Big Bridge is a series' best recomposition of Battle of the Big Bridge, so you know. Final Fantasy XV was RPG fans' game of the year 2016, and some people are still salty about that, and I, <laughs> which I take some delight in. I, 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 <laughs> no salt for me here, good sir. <laughs> Meaningless. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, end of year lists are always BS, but uh, but they're sort of fun to write and fun to complain about. So it's oh yeah, really every one's a winner so, um, uh, so uh, maybe not all of us but i think many people on this podcast will be contributing to the end of year feature uh we tripped over a couple other 2017 games uh talking about soundtracks so uh pick on someone at random again rob fenner what are your thoughts hey. on, what are your thoughts on near automata <laughs> what are my thoughts on near automata um that is uh, that is a game that is very um very very high on my list this year um certainly in my top five i guess i can't to speak too much about its soundtrack because i mean you know, I'm not. Um, I guess I'm. I'm not an RPG fan music guy. But um, in in, <laughs> in terms of the game itself, um, I I was I was thrilled that Nier was being given a second chance with um, the uh, mechanical chops of mm-hmm. Platinum Games behind it. But you know, playing through it and for uh, playing through a lot of it, I was worried that maybe it was trying to rehash um, what made. Well, the first near is so special, and while there there are like um, thematic nods and even nods to story beats, I felt that it wasn't a rehash as much as like a celebration that managed to take things further in places. Like, I mean, there's some certain twists that the two games share, and you know, I, I was worried, like, okay, will this just you know be to appease the fans? But no, I think it's it's making a different statement, and. Um, I, th- I think I've just derailed myself here, but um, I think Nier Automata <laughs> I is think a very, very special game, and it deserves um, it deserves to be remembered this year as for one of the games that was released much earlier in 2017. Um, I think yeah. it's a very, very strong contender. Yeah, uh, Dom, didn't you also play Nier this year? I, I thought I saw uh, you talk. You didn't? Yeah, I did. Oh, you did. I wrote, yeah, the, I did. I wrote the third review for the yeah, site. I, I, so. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought I remember seeing a message from you talking about it. So uh, what were your thoughts on Nier, Dom? Um, I mean, I just thought it was phenomenal and very off the wall, strange, I guess. But it was a it was a good kind of strange. It was like, yeah. And uh, I don't know. There's just like, I like. I, I, there's pretty much almost nothing that I disliked about Automato, really. Well, uh, besides some of it's like, what should we call it? I thought that some of the social commentary was kind of like way too on the nose and a bit heavy handed, hmm. especially in some of the side quests later on because like, okay, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, you know, like you're, uh, you're the main characters. They like, they're like obviously fighting for humanity against these, ant- these like robots and like 
some of these robots are they're, they're like clearly meaning no harm at all they're just all like right, all right. let's not go too far into um the events of the game because we're, we're, no yeah i'm just like just just like a generic example all right they're just like mosing like moseying or on or they're moseying around their character's like oh should i kill these robots or not i'm like dude seriously <laughs> Yeah, just, it's, just um, leave them alone. <laughs> yeah, Automata has been getting a lot of praise in both sort of niche RPG circles and more mainstream circles. It uh, it even I think it won a thing or two at the Game Awards, which were as you know industry and you know mainstream as hell uh, a, couple, a week or a couple weeks ago. But uh, I, one thing I know that um, Rob Simon is playing it now, and he's finding the gameplay really repetitive, and is question questioning <laughs> wanting to continue. Uh, the last time he asked me about it, do you? Oh, do, do you do, that's or, him. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah. I would. Think, you don't think the gameplay is too repetitive? I think it is, but um, I, th- I think the gameplay in almost every JRPG or any <laughs> RPG at all is is pretty repetitive. I mean, you need to have. One of the things that um, I'm, you know, slightly wistful about when it comes to Nier Automata is that, um, you know, it's Platinum doing it, but the 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 um, combat it's not as um, in depth and and furious as something like a, a Bayonetta or or one of their action games. And I mean that's kind of understandable because it's like a stat based RPG. Um, so I guess it's just you know if you have the patience um, and the goodwill for a I guess just an action RPG, you know, a combat focused action RPG. Um, I will say that um, I there's some late there's like a, a a late game part where you have to go through a few battle arenas um and i found those kind of boring but um the you know with a yoko taro game i mean this is this mechanically this is his best game but with any yoko taro game it's really your um uh investment in the mystery that keeps you going Okay, um, that, that's a game that I know is going to appear on a lot of people's endgame lists, and probably for good reason. I have not played either of the Nier games. Uh, they have been recommended to me by people a lot, and I learned a lot about the first Nier game, editing two episodes of it for Retro Encounter last year. <laughs> they were a blast. Loved them. <laughs> it was probably a year and a half ago by now. I don't I don't remember exactly when those recorded. But uh, yeah, they, they both seem like they have really fascinating stories and character work, and if I had all the time in the world, I would absolutely play them, but as such i i don't know when i'll ever get to them which is which is on me that's that's too bad i I think i would really like near i think you would like repetitive gameplay in an rpg usually doesn't bother me if i like the characters or story well enough so i would probably be all right with it but it just hasn't it just hasn't happened for me probably because 2017 was so dense it just skipped right by me because it was uh it was just the month before um two other games that we're going to talk about uh, later this episode for sure. Uh, so who hasn't... Who have I not picked on yet a little bit? Peter, what's one game that we haven't talked about yet in this episode that is, that is you know, might appear on your end of year list? Uh, Persona 5. Okay. All right. Little let's do it. Game. I don't know if you guys have heard of it. It's a little obscure. Yeah. Niche what is that now? <laughs> Sorry, who? Well, okay. Now there's this... Persona dude. what? <laughs> you say Fursona? Whoa, no. Yes. Whoa. Tell me how to get a persona. Wrong, wrong podcast. Tell me. I'm going. <laughs> All right. Th- that's been episode 115 of Retro Encounter, everybody. Thanks for listening. But uh, That's a wrap. B- before we actually end it, um, Peter, like, um, how much were you anticipating Persona 5? It was a long-awaited sequel for many of us. And uh, do you think it lived oh. up to your expectations? Um, I, yeah, I believe it did. Um, it was probably the game I was most looking forward to this year. 
and also it's really of, of the game of the year contenders that have come out this year like i haven't played breath of the wild yet because i'm no switch and i'm holding out xenoblade haven't played for the same reason i have near on my shelf but i haven't like had a chance to touch it yet <laughs> So Persona and then Persona Five when that came out, I just that was pretty much what I was doing for like a solid month was just experiencing that. I think it takes the three the formula of three and four and just irons out all the kinks and just creates this really really fun, energetic, colorful game with it. It just has this great sense of style throughout the whole thing. The soundtracks on point. The dungeon design is really fun. I think it might have some of the best level design I've seen this year. It's a step up from uh, the random dungeons for sure. I, I dug it a lot. It had, it's not without its fair share of problems. Uh, there, there are a few beats in the story that oh boy, well <laughs> they should. Yeah, and uh, uh, the voice—not the voice acting so much as the sc- the English script—is uh, really wonky. I, I'm I'm sorry, Atlas. I love you guys, but I don't know how um, they are definitely to kill us made it through your your made, made that <laughs> look they will definitely try to live up to the expectations you ask of them <laughs> well uh t- two words that peter said in his brief description i think sort of exemplify persona 5 and that's formula and style because this game is a sequel as sequel to persona 3 and 4 it has the 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 you know daytime and evening phases the crash the dungeons or hang out with your friends and and while going to school you're a teenager in japan it's it's all of the uh, the chief gimmicks of gameplay in persona 3 and 4 are present in 5 and refined to the sharpest point possible and things like the ui and the menus and like battle transitions and just like the and the camera work during battle is so stylish and smooth it is such a refined sequel to those other games that i can't that it uh i had a lot of fun just playing and doing things in it but uh the stuff peter said about the script and story not always being a home run is absolutely true i don't think i enjoyed this cast as much as the casts of persona 3 or 4 and uh, uh for the story moments while some excellent ones there's it feels like there's a lot of filler like the parts of the story and parts of the just day to day investigation stuff dragged real hard for me mm. and yeah this game did not have to be 120 hours no, i agree yeah. it, it, it felt Ugh. like it, it felt like it should have been shorter than persona 4 ended up being the longest game in the series and mm-hmm. all of those memes of your cat bugging you to go to sleep are absolutely justified like shut, <laughs> like, shut the f up cat oh my god Morgana was best mascot for entire JRPG ever, though. So oh yeah, Morgana's great. Definitely, Morgana's awesome. Morgana's great, but she's also the worst reverse alarm clock in history. So (laughs) yeah, we have some other Persona Five fans here. Weirdly enough, I wasn't really that that put off by the pace. As I, I mean, it's definitely a long game, but I guess maybe coming in after three and four. Um, I was just kind of like, okay, this is the industry. This is standard now. But it, the, that also feels like Atlas was trying to like live up to a, a standard they set for themselves as well, being like, okay, we got to pad out this month. Let's do a trip to Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. That'll be fun, right? Those beach trips are so unnecessary that it's just kind of tiring, and I'm so fed up of them in 2017. More than any other year, it's like I've got my 
cap on and suddenly grown up and gone, oh, yeah, you know what? I'm actually really tired of this. After it happening in three and four. Yeah, I know. Um, but to put some positive spin on things, because I have had some kind of offhand discussions with staff that I don't love Persona 5 as much as everyone else, which does not mean I don't love this game, because holy hell is it disgustingly good looking. And it's absolutely yeah. everything stylistically I wanted it to be. Combat is amazing. I really like the way that they've finally taken some elements from the older Persona games. Um, like, uh, is it Psychic and Nuclear or Psy Wave or something like that? The two yeah. elements, and there yeah, are a couple yeah. of different yeah, things. Yeah, two new elements and, like, Demon Negotiation. Yeah. And a yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's, and, and also fire, having uh, firearms and weapons as opposed to just a single weapon. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And actually, um, fighting um, fighting the demonic pantheon rather than just having them, um, you know, That's fighting right. generic yeah. shadows. Yeah, yeah, instead of having separate, instead of having separate shadows and personae, you fight demons that become your personae, just like uh, just like a lot of SMT games and the older Persona games. Mm. That's, all, that's also mm. mm-hmm. yeah. So even though some of the elements are slightly more watered down, it's nice to see them finally acknowledging like Persona Two is good as well. Please take the elements back, and it's like they've managed to listen to that bit. Again, the game is probably one of the best-looking games. You would not tell that game was a PS3 game. Like, it is ridiculously good-looking. It pulls off the kind of borderline cell shade. It's not quite cell shaded but it's got that kind of cartoon comic strip feel about it that kind of... It just runs away with it completely. The UI is absolutely stunning. I think if there's an award for UI, then Persona 5 wins because it's really just just nails everything on the head it just misses a couple of things story-wise and i've got issues with themes and things like you can't promote themes of trying to stand out and be different and destroy the adults and things like that and then go around and laugh at homosexual people and women and things like that you can't do that minorities and majorities you know everything's got to come together you can't take small sex and just go (laughs) not these people we're just gonna laugh at them you can't do that and it really made me uncomfortable it was a little weird it had punch down humor while its themes of like justice and catharsis were uh, Hmm. uh, almost seemed to go against that i uh well it's it's a japanese game (laughs) exactly exactly. but but it was um i i enjoyed the hell out of persona 5 i got the platinum trophy on it and i've only done that for maybe for maybe nine or ten games ever and, that is uh, a feat it's 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 really just playing it a second time and being and being thorough with your second playthrough um but the For definite but because it, it, it's it's not really a challenging game ever i think and um, once you have enough sp to go through a dungeon but i i really really liked persona 5 it it I don't think it hit the same highs for me as Persona 4, which is one of my all-time favorite games, but it basically satisfied my want for a new Persona game like 3 or 4, and I would love, uh, when the inevitable Persona 6 happens, for it to have sort of a new vision that isn't quite as anchored to those three games. But uh, I should hope so, since Hashino's yeah, yeah, stepping yeah, Hashino's, away. And... Yeah, Hashino's leaving, which, you know, it, it, it kind of makes sense. The first three Persona games were were and the second three Persona games were separate teams, sort of, hmm. in sort of separate eras. I think it's time to start a new Persona uh, Persona chapter, and I think that would be really, really cool several years down the line, because goodness knows when, when that's happening, because they de- they aren't quite done suckling off the Persona 5 teat yet. Cause... I mean, my, oh. my worry is that the new creative team will try too, too much to adhere to, um, w- you know, the successful groundwork that Hashino has, has built, and that it would, you know, de facto be a, a, a fan project of that era. But um, I, I hope that um, a um, 
uh, 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 an unfounded uh, worry and that we will get something um, new and different and strange. It, it's hard to say um, because, like, uh, big the larger the budget of a of an RPG, the sort of more conservative I think the the big mm. company behind it wants to be with it. But well, they've re- they struck gold with this format, yes. so I, I can't really see them changing it dramatically anytime soon. Yeah, but. I I really wonder if they're gonna if they're gonna like how rigidly they're gonna adhere to this formula when the when the inevitable Persona Six happens. But that's that's speculation way too far down the line for an episode ostensibly about 2017 games. So we're going to stay in the first half of 2017 again. Um, talk about another game I have not played. Who here uh, played and probably enjoyed uh, Zelda Breath of the Wild? Ooh, me. Okay. <laughs> All right. Me, surprisingly. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah Alana. Did you, really good. Uh, yeah, Alana, you were playing it pretty recently, weren't you? Uh, I finished it two weeks ago. All so, right. Yeah. Um, Hit me. Oh boy. Um, so I had doubts. I always have doubts with a Zelda game. Uh, Zelda is always like, oh, I'm going to walk in straight lines for 20 hours and do dungeons and do side quests that are way more interesting. Um, Breath of the Wild uh, takes everything that I I kind of hate open world RPGs to a degree, or open world video games specifically. And I don't really like Zelda games. And it kind of pushes them together on a sandwich and goes, hey, this is really good. And I was glued to it for about 75 hours. And before I picked it up again, I'd said to some staff, I was like, I'm not really sure that Breath of the Wild is that spectacular. And it's got problems. Like, you know, there's a th- there's a couple of things wrong with it for definite. But boy, is this the biggest kick up the backside Zelda's had in a long time. And it absolutely deserves it because that map and that world is just an absolute delight to explore. I mean, the vistas Agreed. are gorgeous. It is one of the best open world. It's the best open world map I've ever. It's the best open world map since Xenoblade Chronicles. I'm not as big a fan as X, but um, I really enjoyed scaling around Breath of the Wild's uh, locations. Uh, there are some really strange changes to the formula, so but really deserve it to be honest. So there's a weather system, but there's also like a hot and cold system. So if you're in the desert, it will be really hot. So you need to change your armor or take some food that's got some cooling properties with it. Giving, or if you go, you're giving me nightmare flashbacks to monster hunter where i had to drink hot drinks in the snow and cold drinks in the yep. desert oh, that's boy. exactly what you have to do yeah oh, exactly <laughs> yeah i'm it's, really it's, glad to bring that back cool, to you though. it's really really cool it's effective because the thing is is um it's a learning curve but you feel yourself getting better you feel like every because when you die you just get taken back to the last quick save and breath of the wild quick saves a lot it quick saves every time you reach some tiny landmark and there's hundreds and hundreds of them every time you walk past a shrine every time you walk past a tower stable a lake a bridge everywhere they're everywhere and you'll die and you'll come back maybe five ten meters or miles away and just walk back up you'll either run away from them you'll throw a bomb at them maybe you might blow yourself up you might break all your weapons but every single time you come back you can do something different about it and it's the first game where you have the freedom that I feel that you have the freedom to do whatever you want, but you don't have to fight everything. It was about retraining myself because in RPGs, I will fight everything I see on the screen. But for Zelda, I really had to scale that back and go, hang on a minute, it's a bat, it's not worth attacking, or this thing is four foot higher than me, let's leave it alone for now and come (laughs) back in 20 hours when I've got the Master Sword or something like that. Mm. The Master Sword is optional, the Hylian Shield is optional as well, so you don't have to do any of that. Um, you can literally go in and fight. You can yeah, go in and fight. Line. Yep, you can go in and fight Ganon within the first five hours of the game if you really want to. But 
what really is kind of staggering about Breath of the Wild is that Nintendo, this time last year, everyone was kind of writing them off and going, no, I don't see it. And you come to the end of this year and Nintendo have completely blown everybody out of the water with their kind of polish and style and sheer brilliance like zelda breath of the wild is incredible and i didn't think i'd say that about a zelda game i've not felt this way about a zelda game since a link to the past so right, um hey. quick quick aside to talk about nintendo's year in general um maybe like if you aren't quite as uh uh attached to current events you may know this but um launch years for consoles are usually just a pile of garbage it's yep. like, like, like oh I, my goodness like, not I mean, this year <laughs> I, I know like, yeah. you, like you look at the best launch games in systems past like you you have your exceptions like your Mario 64s and your uh, Castlevania Circles of the Moon but mostly like launch years are terrible and you really have to wait for the second year or maybe the holiday season of the first year to get to the good stuff but holy crap Switch that like Zelda and Mario are two gigantic home runs it has one of the best versions of Mario Kart that I've ever played and it also has a little hidden gem called xenoblade chronicles 2 <laughs> so which, which i think yeah, i mentioned right. which i think i mentioned earlier that se- several of us might ha- be playing that in our spare time right now. uh and uh, and marcos i think that includes you um are you, you're playing xeno uh, xenoblade 2 right now absolutely so, um, in it. Uh, around how far are you in it and please give us your impressions uh i think i've already like play- put like 30 hours into it which Ooh, wow. for me, um, that's that's not normal. You, I usually spend like thirty hours within like the first month of a game because I'm usually a busy. But for this one, I, I've been absorbed into it, and it, it, it's I really just like enjoy both like the music and the just like the open like world kind of like uh, how I really loved Xenoblade Chronicles X, uh, especially um for those who played at Noctilum, the jungle area. Yes, a like, gorgeous it. soundtrack. Mm-hmm. The uh, second large area in the game. It literally, it feels like it's just like copy paste with that beautiful scenery and absolutely gorgeous music. It's just bringing me back to those memories, and I'm absolutely loving it. I I really enjoy like the battling it as well. I really have no idea what I'm doing during the fights. Like all I hear is this like guy screaming, <laughs> "Excellent, cool!" It's like I don't know what I'm doing. You're playing Sonic. <laughs> But it's good to know there's someone commenting that I'm doing a cool job. It's like, all right. Man, it sounds like the DDR announcer or like a like, – Yeah, yeah, it does. Or like, like a, Street yeah, Fighter al- a Street Fighter Alpha era fight announcer. <laughs> it's like, go for broke. Like <laughs> Combo breaker. Excellent. So um, who else here is playing Xenoblade? Um, uh, uh, Alana, did you start or are you still on Breath of Fire 4 like I am? Uh, well, I'm doing both, but sadly, I'm not even five hours into Chronicles, so <laughs> you might have to come back. As the recording, I'm only five hours in. I'm sure I'll be further along the list, but it's okay so far. I know it takes a while to get going, so I'm nowhere near the meat of the game. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm getting there. I will say, though, the soundtrack is absolutely incredible, and I'm going to buy it day one, so that's my word. <laughs> I, I, I bought the um, special edition day one. I don't think I'm going to get to, to it till 2018, because I have a lot of projects ahead of me, some podcast-related some not but uh it did come with a sample soundtrack that i want to say is nine or ten tracks and um i've been listening to it in my car and i'm quite and i'm quite impressed this is this is really good stuff uh and i I enjoyed the first xenoblade a whole lot but have but never played uh chronicles x mostly because they don't have a wii u and i think the um 
uh, correct me if I'm wrong. One of this, like, one of the executives at Monolith Soft said that he wants to do a Switch version of XCX. But uh, so I have not played it yet. I um, I own it. The soundtrack is confirmed dope from me, and also Marcos the Music Man. So that's uh, I think those are at least two votes of confidence. And uh, Rob Rogan reviewed it for the site right when it came out. I think he had I think he had a day of or maybe day before review, and he gave it a solid mm-hmm. ninety. So yeah, he did. So that's uh, that's another positive vote. But I think this game is a little divisive, just from my perception reading about it, because uh, uh, a couple mainstream venues like I think uh, I think. GameSpot gave it a seven, and uh, mm. and the Kotaku reviewer did not like it much at all. So it's a uh, it's and uh, there's also um, some issues with the script and with fan service and with uh, and with um, the gacha nature of of collecting rare blades that are really rubbing people the wrong way. And, uh, and on a different podcast, Rob described it as uh, systems the RPG because he was overwhelmed by how many things he had. To oh, yeah. he had to balance just in the basic loops of the game. Uh, but it's it, a Xeno game. Yeah, as well okay. like all of the xeno games have about four or five different systems you need to keep an eye on at the same time yeah. um mm-hmm. so i'm not surprised uh i'm also not surprised by the fan service which is one of the saddest things i've had to say because yeah. the minute the art style kind of popped up it's kind of like it's borderline it's like more juvenile than tales at the moment it's kind of like <laughs> it looks quite a bit like tales but like it does up. yeah, yeah. Yeah, but like even the fan service, like I want to talk about Tales game at some point in this podcast because oh, we will. Well, actually, there was one at the beginning of this year which was pretty strong. Well, mm, it was, and that didn't really banter up to the fan, the uh, fan, um, fan service. So, yeah, I don't really want to bring a downer on it because, like I said, I've only played five hours of it, and I wouldn't say I'm far in to give any definite opinions on the game. Um, I put in about fifteen hours, and um, it makes a terrible, terrible first impression. Like it I really does. It just like that game should have started um, in that first dungeon, and it just should have been a bit punchier. And its tutorials are god awful. But um, you know, reading that Kotaku review and what Jason Schreier had to say about it, I can't really dispute any of his problems with it. However, I'm still really enjoying it. You know, it's it is obtuse, especially compared to the rest of what Nintendo has put out this year, and, and it is overcomplicated and explains its systems very badly. But you know, if you go in wanting to engage with it, and it takes many many hours to beat your head against it to engage with those systems, mm-hmm. unless you're like a maniac like Scott, our streamer, who is just like going wild on it. Um, uh, you, you will have a good time eventually, and I mean, like this is um, this is the first time that I bought a home console in its launch year, and the second time that I've bought one exclusively for a Xenoblade game. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so like I, I went in wanting to really have a good time with it, and although initially I didn't, um, and there's still a lot of things mostly related to plot and fan service that I'm finding really distasteful and uncomfortable. But um, the the moment to moment loop. Um, it took me something like 10 hours to find out exactly how to do these these elemental combos um and and now that i'm doing that i'm just you know i'm just having the greatest time with the with the battle system and um alana you and me both we were talking on twitter about how it's it's just a joy to get wiped out by massive aggressive creatures at like 100 levels <laughs> I above love you it. i love so, it the f- I, literally i made a beeline so in the first area there was a dinosaur that's level 92 i made a beeline for it and went to yeah. attack it and died and it was great like <laughs> 
that's exactly what I wanted. One of my fondest memories of the first Xenoblade is in uh, Machna Woods. There's uh, there's a yes. her, there's a herd of dinosaurs with levels in the 90, <laughs> levels in the nineties when your levels are in the thirties, and you have to sneak around their feet as they're sort of moving in a herd to get to, no, to, to, to get to no, the you village. run through them and get attacked. That's how you no, do it. No, I snuck around, <laughs> but, it, but but like that feeling and just seeing giant monsters at high levels interspersed with your you know level eight like sheep or whatever is is fantastic i'm, I'm glad that they kept the scale and that feeling of in in, in xenoblade 2 mm, i mean yeah. i think a lot of the negative reaction as well which is understandable but a lot of people this game was sold as the return to xenoblade chronicles and while in size and scale and obviously it's focused on plot it is there are lots of things that don't quite match up to the kind of brilliance the xenoblade chronicles the original has yeah so it's a bit of a slap in the face to people and obviously people do have snap reactions to it but i think when you persevere and kind of put some of the negative sides like ignore some of the blade designs because some of them are awful but some of them are adorable like the little one with the polar bear is special yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and uh, and uh was i uh correct in hearing someone say that the territorial rotbart comes back Yes, it does. Oh, it's yeah. running He's... around in the oh, first yeah. area. First open area. Fantastic. He killed me too. <laughs> I hope he becomes like like the I don't know, like the Efreet of Xenoblade. I want him in every freaking <laughs> game. I want him to be the first thing you fight, the first giant thing in the first open area every game. Like the uh, you know mm. a, a wild slime appears, run like fight magic item run, seriously. <laughs> yeah. We're definite. So um, we almost transitioned into talking into another game uh, in that during that Xenoblade constru- uh, construction and discussion. Whoops, I, I just can't words today, guys. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, You're wording. Yeah, all right, I'm, I'm wording okay at least. I'm, I'm wording adequately right now. So, uh, Alana, I'm going to pick on you again. Um, Tales of Berseria, one of the first big <laughs> RPG releases of the year. Um, yeah. I remember right when it was released. I'm uh, sorry, right when it was announced. Uh, announced. Wow. See? <laughs> Words. What? I can't, I can't do those. <laughs> You've been um, I thought that. Tales of uh, words. Yeah, tales of words. It's always a made-up word. Uh, well, okay, mostly. But uh, I thought that Velvet looked super dope as a heroine just from the first moment that I saw hmm. that, uh, materials from that game. So yeah. Um, both as a standalone game and maybe compared to recent Tales titles, what are your thoughts on Berseria? Did you, did you review it for the site? I did review it for the site, yeah, and I was tentative. I was really tentative because I'd over-reviewed Zestaria slightly, and it's kind of a badge that I'll wear. Um, Zestaria, especially after the DLC, really, really rubbed me the wrong way, and I've left it alone yeah. ever since, and I'm kind of... It's definitely down the bottom half of my games in terms of cast story, the kind of system issues it has and everything. It's still got a really, really fantastic combat system. The music is one of the best soundtracks in the series. Uh, but the Serie I was really worried about because it's set a good few hundred thousand years before the uh, Zestiria. So I thought, well, what more interesting can you do with that world? Well, apparently quite a lot because I should never doubt my um, pirate senses because Tales of Berseria has pirates in it and I love pirates. Um, and, and there's, a full, there's a full set of pirate costumes, which I also greatly appreciate yeah, as, a, as a fan I of pirates. Uh, so Tales of Berseria is definitely a really, really strong return to form. So I think I said in my review, it's got the best battle system since Graces. It's got the best story since Abyss. And it's got the best character since Vesperia, I would say. So hmm. I think that's a decade in... ago. Yeah, exactly. So 
I was really happy playing through Berseria. I thought I would play maybe five to ten hours and get really bored, but I just couldn't put it down. So I think it's down to the refinement in the combat system. So it goes with Team Destiny's style of things more. So kind of Grace is like branching paths. So if you do one attack, you can do this attack and then this attack rather than using TP. Um, but also it just flows really well. So it takes a lot of the mistakes that Zestiria made and kind of refine them really, really well. Um, it's still not the nicest looking game. Like it's definitely looks like a PS3 game, especially when you compare it to Persona. Um, and the dungeon design isn't great, but I wouldn't let you put that off because I don't really think dungeon design has been particularly good for a very long time. Anyway, uh, <laughs> Tales just seems to be a really bad example of it. And ever since Exilia, really. Yeah. The, there's six characters they all gel together really well they're all misfits and also the child character is not irritating he is one of the best characters in the I'm game i'm not sure i believe you as someone who you can believe me okay. believe me i i hate like 90 percent of child characters in rpgs they do some really twisted stuff with them uh, okay they well, really I... do this okay. is the darkest tales game as well for Ooh, sure and right. again Ignore terrible character design because uh, the two of the female characters have terrible character design in this game. So, not quite as bad, but... but, It's like Velvet loses her little brother and then finds this, like, sad slave child who doesn't have a name and, like, absconds Mm -hmm. with him and then gives him the name of her little brother because he looks exactly like him. And then she starts, like, he he doesn't really know how to deal with it. And then she has, like, nightmares and emotional freakouts about it. It's really... And he's, like, doing his best to, like, be stoic. He's not, like, a... it's, It's really intense for a Tales game. It sounds like that. Mm. It's like yeah. Alexander Dumas or Frank Norris wrote this Tales game. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm into it. It's excellent. Yeah, it's... I thought maybe, like, even after I played it, I thought, oh, I'd maybe not forget about it, but it wouldn't make it into my top five. I think it's going to squeeze in there. Like, I'm still really impressed with it, uh-huh. and like, I really, really want to go back and play it again at some point. I'll buy the pirate DLC for definite, and really had a blast with it. Like, it's genuinely, like, you weigh up everything for a game and you go, oh, yeah, it's fantastic. But this was, like, there was enough going for it for me. Like, I'm a hardened Tales fan anyway. Like, I really love the series in general, but I'd been a bit down on it. So Berseria was exactly the bit, the kick up I needed. And I think by the time this posts, we'll have had a Tales of 22nd anniversary stream. So, nice. if, we, so if we do have a new game coming, then excellent. If we have Vesperia PS3 coming, Namco, don't lie about that tweet. Um, it will be here. <laughs> I'll be really happy about it. Um, but yeah, I think I'm glad that it, it took more than a year. So for the past like five years, the series had been annualized. But Berseria was about a year and a half after Zestiria, I think, for both Japan and the West. Uh, so it was a nice break and it, it benefited out of it. So I really hope that they learn from that and decide to space out their releases a little bit, which is exactly the opposite of what the Atelier series is doing. Yeah, so so they, they, um, I had, I guess, adopted the Ubisoft strategy with uh, Assassin's Creed, where mm-hmm. they, they, they took a year off and Assassin's Creed Origins seems to have benefited from that year off, which is which is cool. I, I applaud it. I want good games. I want games in series I like to be good, which is the most shocking statement ever said on a Retro Encounter episode. <laughs> wow. Let's see. Uh, we've d- we've done a lot of um, big name releases so far already, and there are still more to come. But I, l- let's go off the beaten path a little bit. Uh, I'm going to pick on you, Dom. Was there a game that came out this year that you played and enjoyed that maybe isn't a you know like 
um, RPG fan headline kind of game? Because I, I know you reviewed a number of things this year, and a lot of it was stuff that I was barely familiar with. Oh, well, yeah. That's because um, most of my favorite games this year have actually been visual novels, surprisingly enough. I, did, I wasn't really expecting that at all. But, yeah, I'd say that my contender for Game of the Year, or one of the strongest contenders for Game of the Year for me is... Um, uh, it's Muffle of Alternative. That's right. I don't know why the name slipped me for a second there. But um, yeah, it's a, it's the sequel game to Muffle of, which was released in summer 2016. Yeah, the Kickstarter for that was quite the wait. But it was worth it, I think. As much as I do like visual novels, like outside of Steinsgate, I've never really, like, really invested myself into the story of them. I just sort of played them as, like, filler between, like, game releases and stuff. Um, with Model Level Alternative, I found myself, like, like really solidly invested in the story for, like, how long did it take me to finish? Like, 50 hours it took me to read through the story. Oh, man. And, Gosh. yeah, that was, like, it was, like, watching just, like, one extremely long movie. And, and, and I, I know Muvlove's been around for a while because I remember one, some of my sort of more otaku friends uh, when I was in college in the late 2000s were really into Muvlove at, at, at one time or another. But uh, So is Muvlove Alternative like a retelling of the first one or a, a straight-up sequel to the first one? And, and you said it had a kickstarted uh, release worldwide? No, yeah, it was... Um, well, the original series was released in, like, 2003, I believe. Oh, boy. And there was a Kickstarter... That's, that's older than my assumption. Yeah, and there was a Kickstarter for it in 2015 for both Muv Love and Alternative, and both were successfully funded with over... I think it was over, like, $1.2 million. Yikes. It was, like... There was a lot, there was a lot of support behind it. That's crazy. And, yeah. <laughs> And yeah, uh, so Muvlov is basically a two-part sort of like character introduction. There's like first part, like, like a first half of the game, and then there's a solid like second half of the game. Like after finishing Alternative and going back through the first game, it's it's like it was pretty. Like you can start, you start to see like all these like foreshadowed moments, and you're like, oh, so that's what, so that's what like all this was about. But like the first time through Muvlov, at least just a terrible terrible impression um because you have to go through like, like a um uh like a school romance drama first yeah, yeah you know? pretty much yeah and then it, if, then it becomes the sci-fi story yeah and this, this was like the first game that i reviewed for rpg fan and oh wow um i remember like i remember like like playing through the game like after like the first 15 hours i just like i went on slack and it just started bitching about the game about like how, and, and this is, this is how like, awful uh, i found this is in like middle of 2016 probably or maybe yeah, yeah. early 2016 Aww. it was like it was like in august i think and i was just like okay. this game is awful i don't think i can really like finish this at all but like you know i just like stuck with it the first half of the game is just complete just like borderline filler garbage i would say just like first impressions wise like second half is where it starts getting interesting because it puts the characters in a new setting you sort of get to see how like their previous mannerisms and idiosyncrasies really sort of like play out in this different world and how like it like how their actions have real consequences this time around and uh, yeah the second half of unlimited essentially sets up for alternative which is just like just like yeah it's a big finale for the series pretty but, much but, uh, but you think that so, um, if someone was interested in alternative they really have to play the first one in unlimited first 
Yeah, absolutely. Oh, they they absolutely have to play because like otherwise, like as as like annoying as the first game might be, it's like you just have to get yourself f- familiar with the characters to really have that emotional payoff in alternative. Because otherwise, like otherwise, alternative is just like some sort of like just sort of like an action flick almost. I'd say, but like having played through the first game and like gotten to like really know these characters like it, it alternative definitely becomes a much more emotional experience cool so. and, all right I, I i've played you know some visual novels but uh most most mostly ones that have sort of more adventure game elements or uh, what that you know toe the line between western adventure and japanese mm-hmm. visual novel i don't know the last time i played a straight up visual novel i guess it was the first fate stay night but uh, which I played only just a, a couple of years ago. But uh, mm-hmm. if someone was like me who was interested in the medium, but uh, maybe hasn't played a ton of them, but it has you know some RPG honed patience, would Mo- Mavlove be a, a a good starting point? Oh, that's that's sort of tough to say because because like I mean I think Mavlove is an absolute like just like the high point of the genre. I mean, if you have the patience for it, I think it's definitely worth it. Like, I think I said this in the review as well. Like, if first impressions of the game really determine your sort of, like, enjoyment of, like, a lot of it, then, like, Mobile is, like, a terrible game to start out with. <laughs> like, you need to, like, you need to familiarize yourself with the genre more. It, like, it can know what like, you like. Cool. And, like, uh, and that would be just an 80, 90-plus hour time investment just to get through all that story. Well, the first first game, like, sort of, like buzz through it in about i'd say around like 20 hours at most okay so but, that's as bad as i thought but yeah, any, uh, anyway like um yeah. for more detailed thoughts on love love alternative uh um listeners should check your review on the site i remember you absolutely gushing about that game in slack when it happened but yes yep. um, staying on this staying on this visual novels train uh an indie visual novel came out just just i think only a month or two ago that w- that seemed really subversive and dark and weird for the genre which i which was fascinating reading people's reactions to it um i'm speaking of the delightfully named Doki Doki Literature Club, <laughs> which, oh, uh, which even had, I think it, on the RPG fan uh, Discord, even had its own channel just to talk about it for, oh, did uh, it. for a while. Yeah. Alerts, yeah. um, so, uh, I'm working on a review for it as we speak. Oh, excellent. Uh, but I, I know you played it, and Marcos, you also played it. What were your, what were your, nice. what were your th- thoughts on the, uh, the old Doki Doki? Uh, well, the original impression I saw, like, I like to go into things blind. So I saw, I was like, all right, this looks harmless. This looks really wholesome. Uh, played it, and then, like, when it finally got uh, through the first uh, section, I was like, mm, okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's start this up again. <laughs> and then it continued. I was like, mm. yeah. I'm not going to sleep tonight. I, I saw. Really- so many like article titles and tweets that were just a WTF is happening to me, Doki Doki Literature Club is happening to me kind of <laughs> situations. So uh, um, I don't know exactly when your review is going to post, Rob. But uh, did you have a similar, you know, shock and awe kind of reaction? I did, but I mean, since Marcus is a little bit pressed for time, um, if he's got some some uh, uh, deep thoughts on it, I'd love to hear them. Um, I, I guess the only deep thoughts I have is more the use of a uh, what's his name? Uh, I know his name Sal- Salvato is his last name, so I'll go by that. I think is it Dan Salvato? That's correct. Yeah. Uh, just personally, uh, there are certain like 
sections that like the audio starts to get uh, like used in a certain unique way without spoiling too much uh, that I found very fascinating. Uh, what, one particular instance was when the main character exit the classroom, the music stays in the classroom and it's like you hear it muffled through the walls. And that oh, gave yeah. me, uh, a, it reminded me of the uh, Adult Swim short, uh, Too Many Cooks. Too Many Cooks. That was the first thing I was like, oh, this is too many cooks. And then it got really crazy. This is the Too Many Cooks of visual novels. Like, like I like oh, to like, think that, I, you know, it's, like it starts really wholesome, like Too Many Cooks, just like uh, 90s uh, sitcom uh, theme song, singing really happy. And all of a sudden it's like, there's that creepy uh, bald head man with a uh, greasy like hair that's running after people but more so it's just cute girls <laughs> instead uh Doki but Doki yeah. indeed or a youtube uh, video uh person uh in their title uh doki doki is now o- okie doki <laughs> uh definitely look that up and you'll find the video uh but one thing i do want to say before um uh, because i am a little pressed for time I'm leaving shortly uh is the music i wrote a review on the soundtrack and one thing i will say is that i found the soundtrack very compelling uh very uh used very well and it, mm-hmm. it definitely hit home to uh give you both that like false sense of uh security especially at like that cute little uh visual novel type uh music where it's like sensey very poppy bouncy and then you finally hit that that certain wall it's like okay it's 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 creepy i'm gonna stop listening i'm not gonna i'm not going to bed tonight (laughs) i'm gonna go just sit and look at the wall for a couple hours and then go to work Yeah, there's instances of dynamic music that's used really well uh, too. I mean, like in early stages, like it'll it'll uh, seamlessly transfer between like the main theme of the literature club and then like a different instrumentation instrument instrumented version for like its specific characters leitmotif, um, and then like they use that same kind of like dynamic um, uh, dynamic music shift to uh, do some more interesting things with later on, as you said. Yeah, what he's talking about is when the girls are reading their poems. Uh, there's one theme that plays, and then when it switches to reading their uh, poem, then the instrumentation uh, changes uh, to music uh, that kind of like, I guess, call it the character's motif, like for, um, what's her name? Was it Yuki or Yuri or something like that? Uh, Yuri is the gloomy girl. Yeah, yeah uh, it's more uh, classy. You'll you'll hear more strings and more like refined or something like that. Well, for Nats- Natsuki, uh, for her, it's more like a elementary sounding you get like that recorder that sounds really a tiny bit sharp or a little adorable a little bit more percussion uh just to give it that kind of like elementary sound and then for like uh the other young lady what's what's her name i feel like an old man i can't remember any of these people there's sayori and there's monica sayori that's it or sayori um for her it's like more like relaxed more ch- chill and a little poppy too and it switches like between those when three and that, that's really excellent i think that's always a uh, good to be able to transition uh between mm-hmm. tracks and i think dan Salfata does a great job with that and if you just read my review you'll also see like other thoughts i had on the soundtrack all right um i think we're gonna continue living in visual novel land for a minute for a game that i know at least three of us have played uh donagan rampa v3 came out in september worldwide and um uh nippon no, 
yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, you're right. It was Japan. It came out in January of this year, and it was and the, its world its world is released in other regions was September. Uh, so it, that was about uh, eight months of trying to avoid spoilers, I guess. But uh, <laughs> I, Alana, you and I were on a spoiler podcast for Danganronpa V3 um, earlier mm-hmm. this month, and I know Rob. I know you played it, Robin. But I'm not, but I'm not uh, Dom and Peter. I'm not sure you guys have. Tread carefully, guys. I'm only in chapter four. Okay. Oh, okay. We won't do any spoilers. Okay, this we're is not going to do any spoilers, but um, we, we will definitely say it came out in 2017, and I will definitely say it is not my favorite Danganronpa, but man, it was a ride. It took me for a ride like a Marvel vs. Capcom 2 menu. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Um, yeah, I'm in the same boat as you. I was ready for... I was ready for the ride for definite, and it sure did take me for a ride through all six chapters, but it's not my favorite in the series, and it's not making my list, I'm afraid, just because I think it's, well, I just think it's my least favorite, just for characters. I think mechanically it's the best, but I think it might be the weakest char- uh, character-wise and story-wise for me, sadly. But um, I don't think it should discourage any of you from playing it, because Danganronpa V3 is definitely an experience, um, like all the other Danganronpa games, and they are really easy to pick up you must play all three of them in order as well if you play them out of sync then you will spoil all of the previous games and stories and everything um i think it does some clever things with its narrative for definite and i I, I, I like i like how it um how subversive it is at times uh like and it's Mm. very it's very aware of its audience it's it's playing to an audience that has played other danganronpa games and it wants to mess with the expectations of its audience and in some ways that i found frustrating sometimes in other ways i thought were were quite clever uh I, we, we got we have to avoid spoilers because this game is practically made of spoilers and sometimes like hmm. and, and it's one of those games where sort of the plot is the game at times even even though there is some entertain, there is some entertaining gameplay like that isn't directly attached to plot but ba- uh, basically i think it's must a must play if you like Rampa one and two and want more but uh I, I don't i know i haven't finished yet but it's it's you know, unless it completely messes the bed with its ending, and you know, from what from what I've heard, from what I've heard people saying about its ending and how divisive it is, I'm really looking forward to seeing it. I think the, it might the ending, the ending might is wild. be That's up a, my alley. The ending it is, is wild. wild. It is um, wild. <laughs> so, but I'm I am I'm completely in love with it. Nice. That's really good. Right I was going to say uh, the initial reaction to the ending was kind of a what, but then. It took me a while to warm up to it, but I have warmed up to it. And I think, even though I say it's my least favorite in the series, it's probably by a smidgen. Like, they're such good games that you almost have to consider them as one full arc or one full, like, bubble. So Better than Despair Girls. I mean, not as good as Despair Girls, huh? (laughs) I haven't played Despair Girls, sadly. Um, Ah. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Um, But, yeah, I would definitely say, out of the three, I mean, they're all on par almost, so it's a really difficult statement to make. But, yeah, I loved it. You'll you'll love it, I reckon. I think it's right up your alley. Uh, And, Alana, you do have a review of Danganronpa V3 on the site, I believe. Mm -hmm, I do. And also we have that spoiler cast I mentioned. It's in the uh, random encounter feed and not the retro encounter feed. If you want to hear Alana, Rob, Derek, and myself all talk about it, listeners. So, uh, but I, I found it very entertaining. It was a total ride. It probably is also my least favorite of the main trilogy, but that does not mean that I don't, I don't mean that like in a big, in a majorly disparaging way. It's just, you know, it finishes third, but all three are strong. 
Uh, but in so, any other year, yeah, crazy. Right. And then this year is again. We, we're not, we're not even halfway down this list of games. I of that I that we may cover in this episode. I don't I don't know how deep down the list we're gonna get. Oh, let's you know. Let's talk about another game that came out in September of this year that I have not played yet, although I'm very eager to. And Alana, you also reviewed for the site. We're talking. Oh. You, you know what we're talking. Yeah. We're talking ESA, aren't we? Indeed, we are. So yeah, what, what, I broke the ESA virginity. Wasn't this your first ESA game or second? Second, right. I reviewed ESA Origins for PS4 that as well this right. year. So, okay. th- mm-hmm. so I yeah, I'd never played an ESA game before this year, and I've nailed two of them. So. Right. Yeah, what am I doing? You, you started with two of the strongest mechanically. Yeah, I really did, and it's really impressive. So I'll focus on ESA because ESA is the new one, and most people on this podcast and probably who are fans of the series have played Origin. Origin is excellent. ESA is also excellent, and I really – it plays so beautifully. It is maybe – Going back to the near Automata discussion we were having earlier, its combat does get a little bit repetitive, but God, is it smooth, and it's so easy to kind of play easy. around, create <laughs> combos. Easy, easy. yeah. <laughs> I can just uh, lose an afternoon running around the plains, killing things <laughs> in Ease 8. Ridiculous, isn't it? I think East 8's world map is really fun to get lost in. So it's the biggest yeah. world map in the series, as far as I'm aware. It is the biggest, it's the longest game in the series by a mile. It is double the length of the next nearest one, as far as I'm aware. And that's not even if you do side quests and build your base and things like that. So it adds loads of really nice new mechanics to it. And it really kind of runs away with, like, it's the most popular East title, I think, in the series, critically, and maybe probably commercially, eventually, I would have thought. Um, but there are issues with it, and myself and Derek reviewed the PS4 version before I did, so there are a couple of problems with it, most of which are very publicized, because sadly that script is not up to scratch, which is a shock, because Danganronpa V3 script is so tight and so like perfect in that situation but it's almost like the developers and the translators and the people working on it just thought of it as like oh it's a small rpg not many people will play it and they kind Mm -hmm. of took all the sensibilities from danganronpa and a lot of their other projects that they work on and gave it a kind of kiddie anime charm that it not charm even um (laughs) the kiddie anime kind of sensibilities that it didn't need so like it's very literal and i think the posts have been going around on the internet for a while so everybody who knows about it you know it's pretty darn obvious that they're literally just like if the i think there's one place archaic big hole that's right because isn't it just like crater of arkazo or something in japanese i think they say crevice yeah yeah, big hole yeah that's a big hole i did Um... think (laughs) yeah there are and also my personal feelings are that I have never played a Trails of Cold Steel game, but the cutscene length, the amount of story and the amount of exposition this game throws at you is almost on the same level. And a yeah. this game is kind of like a pick-up-and-play oh. game for me. And it's like... Yeah. This is the first Ease game that was written by Kondo, the writer of the Cold Steel games. Oh, okay. That so. would explain everything, then. Yeah. yeah, so it does take all of those anime sensibilities. And, like, I'm not knocking Cold Steel's story at all because of that universe. It's really... It fits like those dark games are designed for slow and steady progression, for a build up of mystery, for a build up of this character's going to betray you, this character's going to do this, this character's going to do that, and it also is ostensibly more anime, for lack of better words, or like more elegant description. But Issa's pacing is all over the place, especially in the beginning, where you're just stopping for a five minute cutscene and. 
then you're going off somewhere else and then you stop again for another cutscene. And it throws so much at you. It does a Tales thing where it throws so many terms at you at once. You have to go, hang on, wait, am I, have oh, you no. told me this? You ma- have to ma- read ma- the like, Tales for is, it. Tales is usually the king of made-up RPG words. <laughs> so, <laughs> so this yeah. really reminded me of, of Tales. <laughs> yeah. It's a real shame worse. because, like I said, mechanically it's beautiful to play. It's like Smooth Butter. It's such a beautiful action rpg i think that island is extremely fun to explore the soundtrack is amazing again like sound um falcon sound team always knock it out of the ballpark anyway so kind of a no-brainer but yeah it was just like i prefer origin in almost every single way maybe apart from the exploration side and the fact that it's less repetitive like origin you have to go through the same dungeon three times uh east origin you have an not east um eight you have an entire island to play with <laughs> but you have six characters that you swap between it's really really fun it's just a shame and i don't think the localization will fix all of my problems with it because it is ultimately i want to pick up this game and play it the, for the an lo- hour ago yeah the, the localization not- is why i is why i'm slow to play it because i i am a a huge east fan and um and my fa- my favorite one in the series uh is east sevens and this one is sort of like an evolution of that one in a yeah. lot of ways so i i uh i was really excited to play it i was busy with other games right when it came out but when i heard the complaints about the localization and then the uh comeback that they were going to fix the localization at a later date i decided all right i can wait for this uh, well, I'll, for wait, I'll, I'll wait for this localization to happen I'm, I'm, I'm eagerly doing that so but it's uh, I'm, I'm a little bit surprised that it had the backlash it did from fans yeah it's a good thing though because a lot of people actually missed it and some people still pick holes like it's not too bad but the fact that nice nisa have responded the way that they have has shown that they do actually want to try and they are caring about it and the fact that falcom even responded like in Japan, they said, we know this is not acceptable or something along those lines. So there was clearly something to kick up a stink about. about maybe, which... maybe, they, maybe they shouldn't have let Nisa outbid Exceed, I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> That's an entirely different thing, isn't it? I yeah, mean, uh-huh. one thing I picked up in Don't the localization was the fact that it felt like a Hollywood remake of a really old adventure book rather than like, because East Origin has a sense of mystery and charm about it, whereas Issei mm. is like, oh, let's do this, let's do that. Oh, we need to talk to that guy over there. That's not what I was looking for, and it's a shame, but I think I'm really glad to see the positive reception it's got, because like I said, Issei has really kind of popped out among the crowd for a lot of people, and it's it's I think it's going to do really well, and it's really nice to see Falcom having this real boost in popularity over here, and it's Mm. fantastic because they totally deserve it and getting into their games gradually and really experiencing the east series the trail series all sides vi as well like everything is kind of blowing up for them at once at the moment and it's lovely so hats off to them and i'm sure this localization will fix many problems the fix will sort out a lot of problems for a lot of people and i hope that it does so i'll definitely check it out again and see what it does and maybe give people an updated impressions along with derek so yeah, I don't miss out on it and just maybe wait for this update. <laughs> All right. So um, one other interesting thing I thought happened in uh, 2017 were at least three that I am aware of pretty high-profile PS2 remakes that we got. Um, not not all at once, but sort of, but uh, in I think all in the middle or second half of the year, and uh, one of them, uh, Peter, you just reviewed on the site the uh, the the remake of and now I'm I'm probably gonna mess this up the second set of dot hat dot hack games. 
Yeah, um, .hack GU uh, Last Recode. It's a compilation of the original .hack GU trilogy, which was originally released on the PS2 around 2006, I want to say. And I've always I've always wanted to try these games because they have this really unique like uh, style to them where they're about a fictitious MMO, and you actually interact with it via a virtual desktop complete with email, forums, uh, little fake news broadcasts that give you wider <laughs> insight into the world that are some of which are fully animated. Like it's, it's really, it's really neat. The problem was at the PS2 games, I, the, the series has a very devoted fan base and I think they also had a fairly limited print run. So uh, getting the PS2 copies was going to be pretty difficult uh, for the longest time. I think, uh, the last volume of the original series, Quarantine, I think on Amazon that was going for like $200 at one point. Yikes. I'm just like, no. These no games thanks. are way better than those ones were. Yeah. No, yeah, no, I, I haven't played the original series. And the nice thing about Last Recode is that it's actually a really good jumping in point if you're curious because. That's good. It, it includes all of the terminal disk files from the. Uh, that came packaged with .hack. So that includes synopses of the first four games right oh um, wow as well as some in between behind the scenes stuff that sets up the backstory of the game and as you beat each volume in the series they um add more of these to get just shed further light on what's going on it's kind of like I, i've complained about uh sword art online a lot of times on this show and i think that is like we did this we did this first and we did it way better yes thank <laughs> like, you <laughs> for definite it always is even the anime series and everything like mm-hmm. see, i was a victim of the original games in that i picked up one of the uh original dot hand games for cheap uh, it was dreadful i hated it and so i just didn't pick up any of the gu series but i really am interested in the nice positive response for the remaster as well because it's nice to get it out to an audience and it's not breaking the bank like you've got three games and then the extra chapter which is like maybe five to ten hours which is a nice addition and then all these other materials that peter's mentioning that uh, really seem to flesh out the lore and the story It, it seems like a very well put together package for sure and i mean the games themselves are pretty basic like Combat's kind of fun, but it's very just hack and slashy. You have a few different weapon types, um, a few basic combos. You don't get a quick select until volume two, which is a little annoying. So in the first game, you have to like manually open up the menu and switch weapons whenever you want. That's something they ironed out as the games went on. Iterative. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Although why they couldn't have gone... I I mean, it's it's interesting to me that this collection um, keeps some of that stuff, you know? Like... uh, like you don't get um, some of the gameplay improvements until the same volumes they originally were, but it seems a little uh, rough and ready in that regard. For sure, I guess it's authentic. I don't know, but um, <laughs> the, uh, the, <laughs> the the environments are really dull. Um, that's one criticism I will give because they're all randomly generated, and so it's all like this kind of copy pasted. It's like the it's like the original Dark Cloud. Basically, you're just kind of running around the same hallways and caves and doing the same objectives over and over again. It's the story and the the, the visuals. The the, the cutscenes are really well animated, um, and the music is absolutely freaking phenomenal. Like it is a, has a gorgeous soundtrack. 
Peter, you just finished a, re- a review for the main site, and uh, listeners can read that if they want more detailed thoughts on .hack. But that was not the only PS2 remake we got this year. We also got Final Fantasy XII The Zodiac Age, the international version of FF12 that did not come out in North America, but did come out in other regions on the PS2, where they... Uh, they add a class system, change the license board, do a, made a lot of posi- mostly positive changes to FF12, and it uh, and it was I, I believe the response to this PS4 remake was pretty enthusiastic. And Rob and Peter, both of you were on a Retro Encounter podcast earlier this year playing the ga- uh, I think you were all playing the remake. The remake for we the were. podcast. We were. Yep. So, With Caitlin. So, Right on. So, um, I mean, I I listened to those episodes, so I know that you that you liked the game from uh, uh, from listening there. But uh, care to elaborate a little bit on the remake here? Do you think it might make an end of game list for either of you? Um, it's not going to make my end of year list, but I mean that's just by virtue of this being such an incredible year um, that um, boy, you know, I can only include so many games. It'll definitely get an honorable mention from me. But um, you know, for a long time, this was um, the sole Final Fantasy game that wasn't really available on modern consoles, and um, boy, it's made a return in a big bad way. Um, and I'm I for one am glad that it is because I feel like it's it's an incredibly strong um incredibly strong post um post 16-bit era entry in the series and 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 one of my favorites by virtue of its um strong writing and phenomenal voice acting mm-hmm. um and you know it, it it dared to be different in terms of um its gameplay systems and its mechanics um that was very very divisive when the game came out but i feel like the zodiac age i feel like people have come around on it and um this game's finally finally getting the respect and uh, uh fanfare that it deserves 11 years later yeah for sure a Zodiac Age really sets a new bar for um, for HD remasters in general. Just oh yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah, it's the amount of since they added the pirates in in a uh, in a later patch. Yeah, uh, I need to patch that. Cool, but they yeah, actually went in and did that. Like so sad it was gone. <laughs> they went and brought back a missing feature from the original release. They really polished it up, refined the mechanics, um, added in like subclassing. Like yeah, Zodiac Age is is the complete deal. It's a it's a it's the easily, I think, the best version of a criminally underrated Final Fantasy game. Awesome, and oh, I guess there was also a Kingdom Hearts thing. So uh, that's enough. That's enough of the <laughs> PS2 remakes. Two point eight Final Chapter Prologue. Um, <laughs> okay. To be fair, though, Dream, Dream Drop is it Dream Drop Distance? It's a fun, there's a there's a fun two hour two hour demo for Kingdom Hearts three that you can play, and that's the best part of the collection. <laughs> I hate Dream Top Distance a little bit. <laughs> um, I, I hate all. Of I played Dream Top Distance again um, when I got the collection. And I'm like, yeah, this is a video game. But... Well, I mean, the correct answer is is it's all right for about fifteen hours, and then the final boss is ridiculous. It's so the, yeah that that final boss gauntlet is so hard. It also helps Beautiful. that I think it's a fun game, but. Oh man, the the level design is it's so right. bad. But it's got a Fantasia world with music. It does have a Fantasia world, and that's really cool. Um, I, I will agree with what Peter said. Uh, that is a video game. So, all right. <laughs> um, what else do we have to they talk about? All, they also put all the other Kingdom Hearts games on PS4, so you can play them on that too. Right. Um, yeah, Don't you have to buy like three separate games to yeah, get them all? It's, it's HD 1.5, HD 2.5 Remix, and well, what it, is with these uh, titles? And 2.8 Final Chapter Prologue. And now it's uh, HD 1.5 plus 2.5. I, I I got one of those 
uh, I think the PS3 version as a gift, but I li- I literally have no idea which one it is, <laughs> because I, I find the titles just a mess. But we we don't need to uh, meditate too much on Kingdom Hearts. Um, the, 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 it, those three releases are all available on eight on uh on PS4. I, I at least the last two were 2017. The first one or two might have been 2016. I'm not positive. I I haven't done all the research on it, but. Uh, Kingdom Hearts fans, those are th- th- that might whet your appetite a little bit before Kingdom Hearts three allegedly comes out eventually. December thirty first, two thousand. Allegedly, like it's committed. Apparently, it, it, gets, it gets the word double adverb, double adverb, double adverb of allegedly eventually, which is uh, does not express a lot of confidence for me, but <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Um, so mm-hmm. uh, let's let's leave the PS4 for a minute. There's a, a bunch of 3DS stuff that I mostly did not play that came out this year. Um, Pokemon got a double sequel uh, in sort of in the style of Black Two and White Two. Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon came out. Oh, is it actually a sequel? I thought it was just like no, it's, no. Yeah. it's alternate. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah, it's, it's a remake, it's, not a sequel. It's a pl- it's a pla- it's basically a platinum or an emerald version. The same <laughs> yeah. remake the game that we put out last year. Oh. <laughs> yeah, which is kind of sad, really. But is, is I, it, I, is the year about the is the year the normal uh, interval? No. For the, okay, it's normally longer. It's it's usually about two years, I think. Which yeah, is, but it, no, was a, it, it was one day less than a year. Pretty <laughs> much ever. Pretty much since Gen Six started, they've been pumping these things out annually. They did some remakes, I think, between X and Y and, yeah. and Sun and Moon. X and Y never got their uh, crystal platinum yeah. green, uh, green version. Or, I'm sorry. No, they, uh, did, they did Horus, and that's it. No, and I have, I have picked up Ultra Sun. Ultra Moon, sorry. Um, but I will get rid of Moon for it, because really, essentially, I played through all of Moon, loved it. But haven't touched it since I finished it because the end game is really weak. But the end game in this looks more interesting because as a lifelong Pokemon fan, I do enjoy replaying and fighting villains over and over again just to remind them that I've been a Pokemon master since I was six. So, Giovanni, Giovanni is the gay agenda in Ultra Sun. Oh yeah, Team Team Rainbow Rocket, which is a, oh, yeah. which is a great team name. It is, yeah, and it's got he's got all the baddies under his thumb, and he's showing them who's boss, like. Lysander, go sit in a corner and think about what you did. If, like sexy if the, part, man. If the Houston NBA team ever has like an LGBT Pride Day, they should be the Rainbow Rockets just for one night. I would, I would, mm. I would, I would buy a James Harden Rainbow Rockets jersey. I think. The Rainbow I Rocket see. in your pocket? <laughs> no, no, Rob, I'm just happy to see you. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, Ultra Moon is, oh. is a lot of fun. I actually got it as a gift. So. Yeah, I, I know that uh, Nathan and Derek both played it or were playing it on and discussed it a little bit on an episode of Random Encounter last month, I think. So you can uh, listeners can look for that if they want more detailed RPG fan thoughts on Ultra Sun and Ultra Moon. But let's move away from Pokemon and talk about some Pokemon mimicry. Uh, Monster Hunter Stories came out this year, which was mm. a game I never would have expected to see as a person with a checkered Monster Hunter fandom history. Uh, but it. it it takes Monster Hunter designs, which I enjoy and I think are very cool, and sort of chibifies uh, both the human and monster designs uh, for the 3DS. And instead of um, hunting and killing monsters and making weapons and armor out of them, you can you do a little bit of that and also team up and ride monsters from the Monster Hunter series in a game that has been called, you know, Pokemon Jace a little bit. But um, some 
people even dare say they like it more than Pokemon. I know that, uh, uh, again, I think Nathan reviewed it for the website, but um, our social media maven, Steph, was playing it and really, really liked it and had a bunch of weird Monster Hunter questions for me via Facebook Facebook message uh, while she was playing it. Like, what's up with this thing? What's up with that thing? It looks really cool. I haven't played it but i definitely want to do is anyone is anyone here have any monster hunter stories thoughts no sadly oh, not darn haven't had a chance yet <laughs> I, I am keen to play it though as am i so okay we're starting to run out of games on the list um oh night in the woods came out this year yeah i really oh, yeah. play this I, I know someone on this podcast reviewed it I, I love the look and vibe of that game and fenner i know you were excited about this game before you even got to play it uh so um, go ahead with your thoughts on night in the woods i was excited uh full disclosure i was a kickstarter backer of this game oh, but okay, cool. um just a um I just paid to get the game itself. Um, boy, oh boy, this this ticks pretty much all of my boxes. It's like a, a <laughs> zine in comics um, tinged um, adventure game slice of life about um, moving back home because you're a failure and um, you know getting along with uh, you know getting along with your friends and trying to put your life back together while there's like a, um, a hint of a mystery happening in the background, you know, what, t- what happens in the titular night in the woods. And, you, you know, it's this, this day-to-day formula of um, hanging out with your friends and, you know, stealing pretzels and hanging out and getting into mischief behind the mall. <sighs> you know, I don't want to gush too much, but, like, I, I love everything about this game. This, um, it, it, <laughs> it does so much well. Um, and, it's it's got one of my favorite scripts in a game ever. It's got some of the most um, uh, natural feeling and relatable dialogue um, that I've ever seen. God, I just I, I there's there I can't say enough nice about it. It's it's a real triumph. It was really worth waiting for. It had a lot of delays before it was before it finally came out in February of this year. But um, my goodness, um, where am I going with this? Uh, you know, I, I think. I, I think, you know, you have to be made of stone to not like something about it. I saw this at E3 2016. I had not heard of it. And one of our newsboys, Colin, saw it on, like, the first day and was gushing about it back at the hotel. So I'm like, all right, I'll check out this thing. I hadn't heard of it before. And just watching the demo of it, watching someone else play the demo at E3 2016, just my grin just grew bigger and bigger and bigger. It is – it has such a cool vibe around it and is visually so pleasant and the dialogue is just so it, – it, 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 it's, it, it's so it, cute. It's, and so funny and so sad it's rare Mm -hmm. for a game to feel chill and this yeah and this game 100 percent feels chill and i don't know of a better adjective to pick with it and i i have not bought it it's on my steam wish list i'm going to get that thing eventually and and i i believe i will like it when i eventually play it but it just hasn't happened yet Mm, i'm in the boat i I believe it's coming out on switch next year is that right or uh, I, I believe that's correct. Yeah. I think put it on the Switch might be the motto of Twitter for the second half of 2017. <laughs> Pretty much. Pretty much. But I think I'll wait for that version because I think it's like the perfect sit down and play with a cup of coffee kind of game. Like they're adding yeah. new stuff to that version, and like the, all that stuff is going to be free uh, for the um, versions that are already out. But 
I think yeah. Switch is the first one that's going to get that whole package all together. Yeah, no, just oh, like okay, cool. it, it's going to be a comfy chair, some coffee or some wine. You just you need the chill environment to play the chill game. You, mm. you, you yeah. gotta, it's all got to, you know, just got to harmonize a little bit. I think it's the only game I didn't play this year that I regret not getting around to. And oh, like you, it wasn't the, it wasn't on my radar until about a year ago, and then because of all the positivity and the kind of fuzzy felt look about it. It looks like either paper yeah. characters and things that just look so lovely. And I have seen part of the script and I don't think there's a time where I've not had some kind of really neat emotional reaction, whether it's laughter or kind of the relatability that Robert was talking about. Like it's just really neat looking. And it's also really sweet to hear of a successful and really good Kickstarter, like so nice to hear it. And something that's, you know, passion and hard graft does work a lot of the time. And it's a really good example of it, to be honest. It's like pretty much like three people made this game. Exactly. So Scott, his wife, Bethany and, and Alec Paloka. Definitely. And I'm so glad that it's as good as it is because you know, in a game, a year of really strong games, Night in the Woods standing out as an ex- excellent narrative game is wonderful, and it's just a joy to look at. So I'm definitely going to pick that up as soon as it's out on Switch. If it takes a bit longer, then I might pick it up on Steam. So, yeah. So yeah, um, we're over an hour and a half already on this podcast, and I and I'm a- after our uh, three and a half hour monster that we divided in two earlier this month. I'm a little <laughs> bit I'm a little bit leery about podcasts going too long, so I'm gonna I'm gonna hustle us through a little bit, and I apologize if there if we because I'm sure we have all a lot more things to say stuff that happened this year we haven't brought up oh I don't know Neo Hakuoki Mario and Rat Mario plus Rabbids Divinity Original Sin two Cosmic Star Heroine Tokyo Xanadu uh, there's just so much stuff came out this year that there's it's impossible mm. to talk about all of it. Shit, I mean, I've, I, I reviewed the second South Park RPG last <laughs> week. You've also missed P- Pyre like, as well. Yeah, and Pyre. Oh, I love Pyre. So uh, Pyre is probably going to be, if I were to make a top five for the year of what I've played, Pyre would. Pyre and South Park might both be on the list. I'm not sure. But that, nice. that, that also goes, to, that speaks to what I haven't played more than what I have played, perhaps. But, I don't think so. Well, okay. well, I enjoyed both of them a lot. Like, Pyre is the combination of Oregon Trail basketball and post-apocalyptic jewelry box storytelling that I always knew I'd never want. <laughs> I, I never knew I always wanted. And, <laughs> um, and South Park is, like, if you like South Park and you like superhero stuff and you like turn-based RPGs, you should have already played that game by now. There's so much came out in 2017 that... I'm sure listeners have uh, have been listening along, and for many of them, we haven't mentioned their favorite game <laughs> that came out this year, just because there's so many good ones that came out. Right in. But yeah, so if if you want us, if we forgot something, or you want to, you know, th- us to go over a certain topic, please contact us. But we'll get that. We'll get to that later. Um, I want us continue looking back towards 2017. Because we had, counting this episode, we've had 52 episodes with 18 RPG fan staff members um, contributing to those, uh, just on Retro Encounter alone. And especially in the second half of 2017, a bunch of RPG fan features with more and more people writing for the site than ever. I think think the number of RPG fan staff totals up to like the 40 range, perhaps? Yeah, we're well above 40. Yeah, so like probably in the 40 to 45 range, and since only 18 people showed up on podcast this year i have more work to 
do. I guess so with like it, uh, I'll, even if I have to like physically drag uh, John A or Colin over into into an episode. You but, got Rob Rogan over next year. Yeah, I think I, I think I think um I think we're gonna get Rob Rogan and uh, Greg McCallum Greg McCallum both both Yay. of them. I've, I've gotten I've gotten verbal commitments from them, so that'll be fun. But uh, whether it was um, a feature that hasn't shown up on a podcast or a podcast you were on or just any RPG fan memory that the that you guys have had this year tell us a little bit about it and I'm gonna pick on Dom now what what, what was your favorite RPG fan thing that you did in 2017 well, I was gonna say that the just writing up for the cast and characters and seeing that feature come together is probably my favorite moment awesome. for RPG fan moment of the year because, yeah it's it was like- just cool seeing everybody's perspectives on their like favorite the favorite casts and games I was eight of us, I believe. So I know myself, you, Dom, and Fenna contributed, and I believe and, um, Nathan, Nick, uh, Marcos, um, uh, Nick, and Nick and Neil both did it as well. Nick and Neil did <laughs> yeah. as well. So yeah, so there yeah, were eight the, of us, and and, and, oh, and, and, and Hillary, Hillary as well was also. Um, she was Hillary on the, yeah. Yeah, she she was was the podcast. podcast and the written feature. So uh, nine or You're ten. Welcome. Yeah, yeah, nine or ten RPG fan mm-hmm. staff members wrote about their favorite RPG casts and characters in September. And that was a lot of fun. Uh, Alana, do you have a favorite um, podcast or feature that you wrote in 2017 or spoke? I didn't do as many features this year. Uh, I contributed to the cast and characters. I did Tales of Asperia for that. Um, I have a couple of favorite um, podcasts that I did. And <laughs> this is one me and you come back to all the time, Mike. But oh. we are big dog fans. You know this. Yep. This was my favorite podcast because <laughs> it's just like we've got a follow-up plan in the planning stages coming for that. Not we dogs, do, yes. but another animal. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the Good Dogs of RPGs was a lot of fun because it just it was one of those like goofy podcast episodes that you always want on your um, table, and it was really nice and fun to do. It was very goofy, um, and very positive. It was a lot of fun to record. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. Um, we th- we found out that there was only like one bad dog, and it was a uh, it was fun- uh, Dragon Quest Eight, wasn't it? Yeah, we we, we we like we went through we went through probably a dozen RPGs talking about good dogs, and we could only think of one bad dog, which is, <laughs> which just goes uh, to show dogs are perfect. Mm, dogs are perfect. Even bad dogs um, are good. Kind of, but in bad, terms of bad dogs, are, bad dogs are really just misunderstood dogs. <laughs> In terms of like journals and stuff, a lot of the stuff I did this year was uh, retreading my steps, which I don't know how I managed to do in a year where I played like 11 new games or 12 new games. But um, the only new game I played was Grim Fandango, and I was thinking back to it and going like, boy, if that was, wasn't was a game, if it was a TV show or something else, I think if I'd played it at the time, I probably would appreciate I, it more. I would uh, recommend... I, like, I'm, Sorry to interrupt, Alana, but um, as someone who saw the movie Coco a few weeks ago, I think you by watching Coco, you get a better experience than playing Grim Fandango and much of the same setting and humor. <laughs> yeah, it is sad, but I really liked playing it because it was one of those things that I had wanted to tick off the box. Um, Gotta but, say, Alana, I played it at the time and I loved it, and going back to it, um, I think at the beginning of this year, those puzzles do not hold up. <laughs> they don't, do they? I remember watching my brother and his best friend play it back in 99, and I remember them just kind of trying and going through it and loving it, but doing it this time was like, it's almost impossible to play and enjoy it without a walkthrough which is so yeah. sad but i was so glad to experience it because it appeals to my sense of humor and it appeals to 
it, in a sensitive way, it appeals to that kind of culture. It's really well done. Um, but my favorite game journal episode was Shadow Hearts Covenant because it meant that I could have a re-perspective on a game that I thought I really, really, really loved and just found out I liked it a lot. Um, but it was nice to have Solosi introduced to Shadow Hearts for well and truly um, properly, to be honest. Um, it was nice to experience it with everybody. And plus, because I didn't get any games on the 100th episode poll, knowing that I'd already won one was good enough for me. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, um, for me, uh, talking about games you could sort of cross off the list. For me, uh, Shadow Hearts Covenant, Tales of the Abyss... And, oh, yeah. uh, and Grim Fandango were all um, all qualified for that. And and cur- the one we're currently playing, Breath of Fire 4, which we'll have an episode for next week, are, mm-hmm. those are four RPGs that I'd always been interested in, or I guess adventure games in the case of Grim Fandango, and finally got around to playing. So that was really rewarding for me. Um, and uh, I love the Dogs episode, of course, but other than those, my favorite thing we recorded this year... Uh, this might be a little bit of a surprise. I'm not, I'm not sure, but it might be um, uh, Rob. You and I talking about produce. Oh, no kidding! Because Aww. I because I, you suggested that in our uh, in our big document, and I hadn't thought of the Seventh Saga for years by then. And that was a game that I was a weird Super Nintendo game that I was absolutely obsessed with. And you telling me that this was a a developer was um, with this no- odd '90s legacy. I felt like I learned the most in that podcast episode compared to every other one that we had this oh. year. Yeah, and it was, it was and That's it was cool. very it was very very fun me reliving parts of the seventh saga which is a uh, honestly i i, I str- i'm not sure if that's a good rpg but it's one that's, <laughs> that has a very special weird place in my heart like i'm, I'm not saying oh. the seventh saga is better than dragon quest 5 or earthbound but it is you know it is sure a game i played a lot and think about probably way too much <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, uh, yeah, I, I will talk about Brain Lord all damn day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had never heard of Brain Lord or uh, Mystic Arc, so it was it was really cool learning about those from you. Oh, cool! It, those were a lot of fun to record. Uh, Peter, do you have a, a favorite retro encounter or RPG fan in general? Twenty seven hap- twenty seventeen happening. <laughs> oh yeah, um, I, I've I've really been enjoying uh, the our Final Fantasy feature in general, the Fabula Nova Anniversalis, because which is still ongoing. We're not done yet. No, it, it, it'll be it'll be going because we have a ton of talented people on the site, and we all love you know we all love video games. That's why we're here. We love Final Fantasy, and everyone just kind of came together, pooled their talents, and created just a bunch of awesome content. I really loved doing the film festival with you and Keegan, Mike. Um, that was a lot of fun to do. I, it was it was fun to do. Um, it's just cause something. I mean, I got to I got to get my complaints about Kingsglaive after watching it off my chest on air. Finally, <laughs> um, that was, I thought that was great to do. It was, I it was fun it. talking about them. I will say it was a little bit less fun watching those three movies. <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> fortunately, I had Advent Children kind of seared into my brain by then. So, and I enjoy putting together my. Uh, I wrote an article about Final Fantasy XIII's development. Um, that was fun doing the research for that because um, Rob Rogan uh, was able to find me some scans from Electronic Gaming Monthly that I wanted. Oh, um, that's real- that was really helpful because, yeah, I remembered reading this article in high school about Final Fantasy thirteen before it came out, and it had a quote in it I wanted to use, but I'm like, I cannot find this issue anywhere. <laughs> so he went out online and he found um, a PDF of the uh, the article. Good guy. For sure. Yeah, so that was that was fun to do. I've been loving seeing what everyone else has been working on, catching up on, you know, Alana's FF9 article or Steven just Steven Myrink just did one on FF Tactics and its localization. 
just great stuff all around. It's been really impressive. And uh, we, we'd be remiss not to mention the wonderful Stephanie Sabidlow's wonderful art. Oh, oh my God. Yeah, it's yeah. This, um, it's, um, mostly in the Memoria sub feature of the, uh, of the larger FF feature, but all the stuff that she's done for the site for uh, all the artwork she's created is amazing. And I, <laughs> I think we've mentioned this in multiple podcasts mm-hmm. by now, but uh, uh, listeners, please check out the Final Fantasy feature that is still ongoing at the time of this posting. And yes. especially Steph's art, because it's awesome. Uh, yeah, I had a friend who, um, who her favorite Final Fantasy character is Ferris um, from Five. So I sent her, I sent her that art, that piece Steph did. I'm just like, hey, check out what my cool artist friend did. <laughs> she is yeah. definitely our cool artist friend. She's phenomenal. <laughs> so, so Rob, did you did you have a favorite uh, RPG fan um, feature or review or podcast that you took part in this year? I sure do. Um, by virtue of just how full this year has been, I didn't. I wasn't able to take part in as many game journals as I wanted to. Um, uh, I really enjoyed doing um, Shadow Hearts Covenant with with you and, Al- and Alana, and um, I'm sure we had Steph, was Steph on that. Steph, yeah. of course. It, it was Steph. Um, I enjoyed revisiting that. Um, I think my absolute favorite game journal of the year was um, Earthbound. I mean, it's no coincidence that that's like one of my favorite RPGs, if not uh, my favorite. That was a lot of fun so, to record too. I um I hadn't yeah. played Earthbound in over a decade, and it um t- t- yeah neither it, did I. Yeah, to see it hold up the way it did was uh, just just you know warmed the crock the cockles of my shriveled up <laughs> little Grinch heart. <laughs> <laughs> but um we 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 got to record a lot of um smaller uh, weirder episodes. Um, you, me, and Alana talking about um Persona Three was a really delightful trip down memory lane. Um, oh, we're only allowed to do one before, Persona. One Persona episode a year, yeah. and 2017 was a Persona yeah. 3 episode. And then, you know, you and I, we just, like, went way out and wild into the obscure niche stuff. Um, you know, you mentioned Produce earlier. That was one of my favorite episodes we recorded. Um, I also liked uh, Quintet uh, with mm-hmm. with um, Hillary. And um, when we uh, when we did our episode on localization woes and, and games that still hadn't made it into English in 2017. Oh, yeah, we got, got stuck um, Mother, Mother 3 and Second and Setsu 3 and Bahamut Lagoon. Yeah. And a, bu- oh, a bunch of weird stuff. That was that one was fun. Yeah, so those those were all a, a real delight for me, and they they all stuck out as some of my favorite podcasts I took part in this year. So, thank you for having me. It's always mm-hmm. a pleasure. I have a shout out for a feature that Fenna did that I think got some really good reception across the site, and I really loved it, especially because I was an East newcomer this year. Oh, so yeah, Fenna, this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Fenna wrote mm-hmm. yeah. A, basically an introduction on how to get into the East franchise, and it's so well built and put together. So you I guys, you're deserves... embarrassing me. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but no, I think it deserves a shout out because in a year where East is getting so popular, this is the time where you need to go need a guide and that's kind of your go-to place so thanks for putting it together Fenna because it's really really good I wish I thank had you that. so much I was really worried that I was just doing it for my own benefit and then I saw a bunch of people commenting saying like yeah this this seems like a confusing series thank you uh, now I know what, what to do I was like well mission accomplished <laughs> when I jumped Yay. into e- the East series uh, I think it was about four years ago because it was uh, yeah I think like 2013 sounds right I wish I had a guide like that because I I was a little confused I played uh, I played Felgana first and then couldn't figure out where Salsetta fit in, and there was there was turns out there's three East fours. It, it got <laughs> East is not the most newbie friendly series to understand, and that it was a very well put together guide that Rob did for it. Well, thank you so much. So okay, enough patting each other on the back, which is which is fun, I admit, and because and easy because I love all of you and you're all talented, and it's but uh, 
I wanted to look ahead a little bit into 2018. Um, with we're not going to go and look down a, 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 cal- a calendar of releases. Uh, if, if everyone could um, briefly shout out one game in 2018 that they're highly anticipating that hope is and try to stick to games under RPG fans coverage if you can uh, so I'm going to start in the middle and work my way out from my list here starting with you Peter um well uh, Kingdom Hearts 3 is supposed to come out next year okay. um I, thank you I was waiting for that <laughs> but I mean we've seen the most of that game um, that, that we ever have this year it looks way more polished than those early trailers um, so it seems more feasible now after so long that maybe, Hey, maybe we will actually be seeing uh three next year. I got to play an in-engine, basically an, an in-engine tech demo for it in 2.8. I'm also hoping to hear some news on the FF seven remake, even if it is just, yeah, we decided to, can't, we, yeah, we, uh, we screwed up. This was a terrible idea. Sorry. <laughs> that would make me so happy. <laughs> for the yeah. Soul. I'm sure it's going to, I'm, I'm sure that long ways off. But, um, and that we will probably, but I just want to see it in some form. Like, confirm, what are you actually doing with this? <laughs> All right, uh, and, uh, Dom, is there a 2018 release that you're looking forward to in a huge way? Uh, yeah, I'm actually looking forward to Code Fame. Ooh, Ooh. yeah. Namco, yeah. And, yeah, like, as a huge fan of the Soul series, it's cool seeing, like, like, it has a very Souls-esque feel. But I like the different setting. But with and adorable like the, anime vampires. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, yeah, I'm just interested in see, to see what they're going to do with it and how it turns out. Right on. Uh, and Rob Fenner. Okay. Um, I don't think Shin Megami Tensei Five is coming out next year. So, I mean, if, if it is, that's top of my list, but I don't think it is. Uh, I will uh, skew um, pretentious and obscure in the way that I always do. Uh, 428 Shibuya Scramble. Uh, is uh, finally coming to the U.S. Uh, next year. It is a Chunsoft uh, sound novel, uh, much like their earlier games, um, Kamai Tachi no Yoru, and it's said to be a spiritual sequel to Machi, which is one of the um, most critically acclaimed sound novels of all time in Japan. I've um, seen Machi show up on lists, on like, on like, like best game ever in Famitsu and stuff. And I, that's and, right, yeah. And, and it's always like, what the hell is that thing? Oh, 90s sound novel. All right, that's why I haven't heard of it. So it's, um, it's a choose-your-own-adventure choice-heavy um, visual novel uh, with loads of different endings that uses um, still photographs of actors for a very, very bizarre look. And it's about Shibuya being locked down after like a, a, a terrorist attack. And you, you swap between these different characters. Um, it's said to be exquisitely written. And the localization is by none other than Alexander O. Smith. Oh, shoot. One of my oh, favorite localizers. Amazing. So I'm sure he will do an incredible job. So I really, really can't wait to see this. It came out in Japan on like Wii and PS3 and like 2007 so i had completely given up hope that we'd see this and i can think of nobody better than alexander osmith and, 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 and wait wait so um and he, is he localizing is it machi or 428 that he's localizing 428 machi is probably never going to come out in english right i got it <laughs> it's a saturn game so <laughs> cool so uh alana do you have a 28 um, most looking forward to kind of game on your radar 
Um, I do. Uh, maybe two, maybe three. But all Kickstarters as well, which is a kind of scary thing. So I will just briefly drop all three. Uh, first is CrossCode, which I did a preview for last year, or this oh. year even. It's been oh, in development cool. for a while, but it plays like Zelda slash Secret of Mana slash East, and it's really fun. Uh, it's been pushed back a lot, so there are slight worries with it. But I'm hoping it's going to come out quarter one next year, so I'm really looking forward to that. Number two is Bloodstained Ritual of the Night, which I really damn hope is okay, but I'm so terrified. That, that is maybe, I'm, yeah, that's the one that I'm looking forward to that I'm most worried about. <laughs> exactly. Um, I really hope it's okay. I don't know yet. I will tentatively put my name in and say I will hopefully like some of it. I, I, gave, uh, to that, I gave to that Kickstarter, so I'm, I'm already on the, on the books for it. <laughs> But yeah. I I I love the Ega style Castlevania games, or the huge majority of them, at least. And if yeah. if uh, this if this scratches that itch again, then I'll be happy. Yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, lastly, is Indivisible, which is made by the company that made Skullgirls, um, like kind of Valkyrie profile style battle system. If people played um, Exist Archive in 2016, I'm sorry. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, this looks like a way better version of it and it looks like it takes the Valkyrie profile style and really ramps it up uh, I played the demo of it about a year ago and every time I see the animation and art style for it it looks beautiful that's due out next year and a soundtrack by Secret of Manus composer Hiroki Kikuta so really excited for that one I think that might just pip I don't think I'm as worried about that as I am potentially the other two because of the amount of delays and that um, Indivisible's only had like one or two whereas uh, Bloodstained and cross code have had probably about six so yeah um, i'm Night in the, the woods had about six and yeah it turned out okay all right well it's my <laughs> turn. it's my turn i guess and i'm gonna go the absolute opposite direction from milana and rob and go with three gigantic triple a releases um oh god first one and and, and from me the, the, if you know my tastes you'll you'll be you'll ex- be expecting all three first perhaps is uh God of War. That game is a. I loved the PS2 God of War games, and um, and I thought God of War Three was a was a cool you know ending to it. So I, I'm really curious as to how they're going to interpret Kratos's future and how he's going to be different and how the new environment's going to be different. I'm I'm 100 there for it. Uh, second is Monster Hunter World, the game that surprised me the most at E3 this year. And uh, I'm getting and, in on that. And it, yeah, it rekindled a love oh, of yeah. Monster Hunter that I thought had died. When uh when I first tried playing Monster Hunter Try on the Wii, which I still think is terrible, I am remarkably anticipating Monster Hunter World, and I think a lot of RPG fan people will try and party up for that because there's a four play four person multiplayer is how you do Monster Hunter, and if you're not doing it that way, then I don't know what to tell you. Play a different game. And <laughs> and last but not least, um, now that Persona Five is you know on the books, I have to have a new most anticipated RPG, and ever since it was announced, it was Dragon. Quest 11. And uh, the PS4 version has been confirmed for uh, North America because it was at, at a Sony event that um, that Yuji Horii uh, dropped that announcement. But uh, it, it's going to be out in three versions, 3DS, PS4, and Switch. And if all of them come out in English, I might get all three. <laughs> it, it, that, that's on the table that I'm, buying that, that I'm buying that game three times. I don't know yet, but I 100%... I'm crazy enough to buy it twice. So. I, I 100% mm-hmm. want to play that day one. I adore Dragon Quest. It's one of my all-time favorite series, and we haven't gotten a new one in uh, outside Japan since Dragon Quest Nine of... Well, when was that? Like, 08, 09-ish? Gotta be all right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, 2010 here. Okay. Yeah. But 09 in Japan. Sure. So it's been seven years, which is 
a long time since we've gotten a new fresh one, and I am, and everything about that game just gets me more excited for it. It looks so beautiful, so very Dragon Quest. I'm really excited. So that's, let's see, we covered at least 10, at least 15 games in 2017 and another 10 or so for 2018. I think we're about done with the podcast, fellas and lady. So let's talk about our more immediate future. If you want to come in contact with the RP, with Retro Encounter listeners, uh, retro at RPG Fan is the email with which to reach us. You can also comment on the RPGFan.com boards, go on the RPG Fan Facebook page, uh, bug us on our listening venues like iTunes or Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts. We read everything that is directed to us, so uh, please give us feedback or suggestions or anything because it could be represented in shows in the future. Um, next Next week, we are uh, Alana and I will be finishing off our Breath of Fire 4 adventure. That, that'll be the mm-hmm. first Retro Encounter episode of 2018. And I nice. am I'm probably nearish the halfway point, so I'm I have a lot of a lot of playing to do. But it's been a lot of fun so far. I'm I uh, I'm not going to come out of that game a hater unless there's a real weird turn in the last in the last few hours. <laughs> And I'm I think awesome. I think uh, uh, now's the time to announce it. We're doing we're bringing back a feature that we did in uh, early 2016 and playing three indie RPGs slash visual novels in a row in January. The three games were in the middle of scheduling the podcast, so I don't know how exactly the order that they're going to air in. But the three games are the uh, French RPG maker game Off. That's O F F all caps. The classic Toby Fox. 2015 game Undertale, which you've probably heard of if you're into indie games or RPGs. And lastly, the delightful Brazilian strategy game Chroma Squad, which ha- which is about a team of stuntmen making their own Power Rangers TV show. Uh, he totally did not like. You didn't have this, like, no, no, you'll, 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 you'll never guess who suggested that last one. And so, I was just saying, I know where to find you now. <laughs> Mike Salbato, obviously. Mm, obviously, I mean, that, that was clearly the Mike S that spearheaded that operation. Um, so. So, uh, if you want to reach us individually, listeners, uh, let's share our social media information, starting with you, Alana. Um, so, you can find me on Twitter, uh, at Alana Hagues, or you can come and find me on the RPG Fan Discord. I'm Diving Falcon, same name as the board. Come and chat with me. Uh, 2018 is going to be a nice year. I think it's going to be a lot more spread out, a lot more smaller releases for me, and a lot more backlog for me. So, hopefully, I'll be on some retro episodes playing stuff I've never played before. All right, and uh, Dom? Your turn. Oh uh, yeah, you can find me as <clears throat> uh, DHK on the RPG Fan Discord and the forums, and hopefully 2018 will be the year I can clear up my Steam backlog. That is a good lost, luck. That, that's a lost. <laughs> Just sorry, what? Forget it. Um, like how many? It's kind of depressing to look at. I have to count. <laughs> I'm not, not going to look at mine. I'm not going to look. Nope. That that Steam is closed right now. But uh, Peter, your turn to share your social media info. <laughs> um, uh, if you want to reach me, you can at I have Fury on Twitter. It's the same as my forum handle. You can also reach me, Peter T at RPGfan.com for any news inquiries. Um, I'm hoping 2018 is um, the year of Luigi 2.0. I, I still have my Luigi 3DS with Year of Luigi emblazoned on the back. Every year is the Year of Luigi. Oh, yeah. I, I, I love Luigi. And, and that um, that little 3DS has served me very well and and is baked in with a uh, copy of Mario and Luigi Dream Team. So I, I, I thought it was a sound investment. Nice. Uh, 
And uh, Rob, your turn. How, how can listeners reach you? You can find me maxing and relaxing on Twitter at MissanthraBob, and I hope 2018 <laughs> is finally the year of Waluigi. Mm. Yes, yes, mm. Waluigi, the most criminally underrated Mario character. Fight me. Yes. Time to shine. <laughs> I hope. I hope 2018 is the year that we get a new game starring Mallow, Gino, and Washi. Oh, and that's one of my backlog games. They took, they took Gino out of Superstar Saga. I was so mad. Yeah, that, that, that was a bit of a tease, but having him just preside over a mini game. Well, all right, listeners, if you want to reach me directly, the best way to do so is probably on Twitter. I'm at the Real Monsoon most of the time, and at Revoker for Dogs when I'm uh, ranting about Japanese costume superheroes. I'm also Monsoon on the boards and Monsoon Mike on Discord. And uh, we have our dearly departed Marcos, who was on the first half of this episode, but had a pressing. Well, matter what happened? Oh no! No, no, no. <laughs> Marcos is fine. Marcos is fine. <laughs> he uh, he had a family matter to attend, but if you want to reach him, he's Wild Armor on the boards and at Rhythm Roo on Twitter. So I think that about does it for us, Retro Encounter panel. So Retro Encounter listeners, thank you, good night, and good luck. It's not a game. I'm not a robot.